Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. pastoring Rock Church any longer, and so we're still in the ministry, haven't retired, and, uh, but the whole world is brand new in this new position now because we were there for 38 years, and uh, we have some new and fresh, exciting things happening to us. But all I would like to say is this little analogy to you this morning because I like to observe things that happen in the Spirit. Uh, and many of you will have, I'm, probably everybody here has experienced this, Maybe if you're standing on a carpet or something and uh, you're someplace and, and you happen to touch something that's metal and you get the little... How, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Just about everybody's experienced that. Does that happen in Bolivia too? It does. Okay. <laughs> so that's all. Of, that's my message to you this morning. When I walked in here, just got past the front door, I got a spark just like that which is a sign. I mean, it didn't happen physically. You follow what I'm saying? It happened spiritually because there's an alive energy here, and it just touched me just like that. And I, I want to commend you and thank you, especially what I just heard about what you did in the community. That is so awesome. That is so God. That is so New Testament. It's so beautiful. And so recognize who you are in Christ. There's greater things to come. There's so much more of New Testament life that God is about to lead us into. Be patient because it takes a little time to come into the church world and, 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 and glorify the church. I've been praying this now for a number of years from John 17, 1, when Jesus was just about to go to Calvary and he, and he played, prayed that priestly prayer to Father God. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me. Why? That I might glorify you. And so for a number of years now, that's been my prayer. Father, the hour has come. There's an electric, a life, resurrection, ascended Christ spark of energy coming to the church. Glorify the church. Why? That the church may glorify you. So it's great to be here with you. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus, I'm going to introduce my wife. We've been married now going on 47 years. Awesome. And she says, no, 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 but I am still smitten. <laughs> when I first met her, it was in a congregation similar to this, and the pastor had asked me. I knew the pastor. I was a brand-new Christian, and I, he said, you've got to give you a testimony because I had such a, such a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And so I got up in front of the congregation, and I looked in the back, and I, there I saw her. And that was it. I was smitten. And after four, she says, no, but believe me, man, I tell the truth. I'm still smitten. I can't believe she said yes. <laughs> I proposed to her on Easter Sunday, and she said yes without hesitation. She says, well, I knew. You knew I was going to say yes. I didn't know. It was miraculous how God brought us together. And here we are. So this is my precious covenant wife, the love of my life, my darling companion, Pastor Phyllis. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all us amazing mothers. Yes. Um, I tell my husband this now all the time. We've been married so long, I tell him now all the things that I've always wanted to tell him and I didn't tell him, but now I do tell him. So he comments about television. And he's like, look, at he watches every cop show that's on TV. True? Every gangster thing that's on TV. I'm just going to tell you, he does. And he tells me now, look at all these shows. All the women are in charge. All the women are the bosses. All the women, you know? I said, Fred, we've always been in charge. We just never let you know. Now we're letting you know. 
Okay? This is it. We're in charge. I want to tell you this first. I love men. I'm not a man hater. I love my husband. I really love my husband. He's a wonderful, he's a great man. He's a great man of God. He's a great husband. He's a great father. He's the best big daddy, you know, to our grandchildren. So, um, but it's Mother's Day, so it's all about us women today, okay? So invite me back for Father's Day, and it'll be all about you men, and I'll come up with something, right? Um, I'm really touched, Pastor Rick, by what you did in the community because really that's my bottom line this morning is when the church decides to be the church, we affect the community for Christ. We affect our government for Christ. We affect our nation for Christ. We are the game changers. So the longer we sit in the church and do nothing, the, I don't want anybody, don't talk to me about how bad it is in the world, because the answer is the church, okay? So God is like, guys, I gave you all the tools you need. Get up and do. And how do we do that? We do just like what you guys did. We start in our community. We feed the teachers. We feed the kids. We feed the homeless. We get involved. We set a standard that the rest of the community says, oh, you're doing this? I'll give you half of that. I'll pay for half. I want to do it too. What's the community looking for? Leaders. Leaders. Who's the leader? The church is the leader. This is our divine destiny. This is why we're here on the planet. Okay, why are we here on the planet? To be world changers. And we do this in our community a little bit in a little bit at a time. Okay? So that's my whole message. I could sit down. But... Be it he asked me to preach, I will. And so we're talking about women today. We're talking about moms. I have a great mom. Um, she's 89 years old. And uh, I invited her. To, I said, Mom, you can come to church with us this morning. She's like, I really want to hear you preach. <laughs> I go, okay, thanks, Mom. You know, she says, I kind of know. I kind of know what you're going to say. So, but my mom is an amazing woman, okay, and uh, she's going to somebody else's church this morning, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Sorry, Rick. <laughs> you know, um, but I want to talk about perspective to this morning, um, and, and talk to me about the time. You, Kyle. I mean, what time does church end here? Uh, that's not a good thing. I have, I have 20 people waiting for me at home to feed them. <laughs> and they'll all, I'm feeding them. They'll all hang out. They'll all be at my house before us. And they'll all sit there. And they'll watch TV and whatever's going on. And, and they'll just wait. It's like, hey, guys, put the pot up. You know, we make pasta. Put the pot up for pot. Oh, it's just like not there. So anyway, it's my personal life. Perspective, your perspective of yourself, your marriage, your family, your finances, your job, your world, your perspective is setting the course of what you do, how you do it, when you do it, why you do it, your perspective. Perspective is your reality. I have my perspective. Pastor Rick has his perspective. He thinks he's right. So do I. I'm always right. <laughs> and this is how life is. We have our perspective. And because we see the world through our perspective, we believe this is the correct perspective, right? And until we're willing to lay down our perspective and look at somebody else's to see the world a little bit different, how can the two walk together and really be powerful? That's one of the many reasons why I love being married to my husband. We have opposite perspectives on everything. Okay? When we first got married, it was like, oh, my gosh. I couldn't even believe like anybody could think like that. We got, no, I'm not advocating this, but we met in church and we got married in seven months after we met. I would never let my kids do that. 
I didn't let my kids do that. And I don't suggest any of you doing that, okay? But it's lasted all these years. Why? Because our perspectives were so different from you name it. I mean, I could tell on him. I could really tell on him, okay? I don't want you to hate me, but my husband has, I don't know, because I don't know, because I don't want to know, a lot of guns in my house. I don't even shoot a gun. I don't even want to know where they are. Okay, I know all you gun shooters are like, oh, oh I don't even like her now. Forget it. <laughs> but, but you have to change your perspective. You have to change your perspective, right? How do we live together for 47 years, still are in love, not love each other. We're in love with each other. We like each other. We enjoy being together, but our perspectives are very different. But I need his perspective because he sits down and he talks to me about his perspective. And I have to say, okay, I understand where you're coming from. I can't get there. I can't go there, but I really understand it. And his perspective enhances me. It helps me understand about life better. It helps me look at somebody else and say, okay, now I get it. Uh, not, everybody, not everybody thinks like me. And that's a good thing. Right? It is really a good thing. So I want to talk about your perspective this morning. And we're going to race through this. Okay? And I'm going to depend that you know these stories. Because we're going to talk about four women. And I'm going to race through their lives. Hoping that you know the story. Okay, and you understand. But I want to talk about some unwanted, unnoticed, unloved, unaccepted, unassuming, underestimated women. That's who I want to talk about. I want to talk about the people that nobody has the perspective that anything positive will ever come out of their life. And they'll be able to do anything worth anything for anybody because of who they are, where they came from, where they belong to, what they did, what they didn't do, what they should have done. It's all about perspective. So there's man's perspective. And that's here. And when we live here, we are completely judged by one another. That's just the truth. We don't like that word, but it's the truth anyway. We judge each other. Okay? So we, we are with each other, we're surrounded by each other, we smell each other, we hear each other, we're just like, okay, and we're so affected by one another down here. And our perspectives get skewed because we live down here. And while we're down here listening to each other, and maybe you're not talking about me, maybe you're talking about somebody else, and I'm talking to you about that somebody else, and we're all talking about this, and we're all talking about something, giving our opinions and our perspectives and our judgments that we're making. It affects us. It affects the way you think. Okay? It affects the way you think. Your thoughts affect your feelings. You want to change the way you feel? There's only one way to do that. You have to change the way you think. I feel so bad. You know, as a profession, I'm a life coach. I talk to people every day, all day long. And this is the first thing they tell me. I'm so, I feel so stuck. I'm so down. I'm so disappointed. I feel, I feel, I feel. And your feelings are valid and they're real. But how can you change your feeling? There's only one way to change the way you feel you got to change the way you think. When you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. When you change the way you feel, you change the way you speak. I know what you're thinking by what you say. Okay? Change your mind, change your heart, change your mouth, change your actions. Your behavior starts to change. When your thought process changes and your heart changes, right, your feelings change, you start speaking different, you start behaving different. Once you start behaving different, you change your world around you. And that's what you just did. You did something through the whole community that changed your world. But we live down here with the perspective of men. We listen to the news. It's very toxic. I don't, I don't allow the news in my house. 
So if he watches the news or reads the news or listens to the news, it's outside of our home or on his phone or I don't know where he listens to the news. I know he does because I ask him what's going on in the world because I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know. Is the war in Ukraine still going on? I'm not sure. And you would say, you should know these things. I should. But I got to stay up here. I got to stay up here. This is God's perspective. I got to stay up here with his thoughts in my mind. Because if I spend too long down there, I get confused. I get unfocused. I lose my way. I listen to too much other stuff. I, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know who he made me. I don't know who he wants me to be. I don't know how to do it. Why? Because I'm living down here with the perspective of men. And these are good people, not bad people. But we're humans. This is human life. This is spirit life. You are not a human. You are a spirit living in a human body, having a supernatural experience on a daily basis. That has to be your mindset. Because without it, then we're just mere humans. And that, I, I can't handle that. Okay? So, let me run through this with me. Are you, are you drivers this morning? So what do people fight about when they've been married for 47 years? What do you think? Air condition. You're right. You're right. I win there. I'm sorry. I, 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 he really, he's cold all the time. Um, but if you get me too hot, then I really get irritable. And he would rather be with a jacket on than be irritable, right? Yeah, when we left the house this morning to come here, he said, I'm putting the thermos down really low. Because then the house fills up with people, and I'm cooking, and I get really hot, and I can't handle it. So you fight about the thermostat. What else do you fight about? You ha we have GPS. Why would you fight about directions? You don't know how to use the GPS? You should listen to the GPS. It's a female voice, and you should listen to that. Time management. We only really have our issue. The only issue we really have, I think, is driving. I can't, I can't, I just can't drive with him. And he can't drive with me. So that's the only thing we, we really, like, we don't fight about it. He just, um, he says, Phil, you're making me really uncomfortable. I'm like, okay. And when he drives, he drove over here this morning. I did really good. He did good. He did good. But he gets behind the slowest truck. You can't see behind. You can't see around the truck. That, and, and we're just like. The right lane is empty, and we're in the left lane. God forbid we should go into the right lane and move around him. I would do it in a heartbeat. But he doesn't drive that way. So that's what we argue over. Is, and I say to him, sometimes I just can't handle it. I say, Fred, please. Just, just pass the guy. He goes, you're not supposed to pass in the right lane. <laughs> am I telling the truth? Yeah, I'm not lying. So this morning, why am I saying this? I want you to put your vehicle, whatever you drive, into high gear. All right? Can you do that? Put it in high, slam it down to fourth, whatever it is that you drive, because we're going to go through this quickly. I want to talk about these four amazing women, who they are, what they did, and why they're in the Bible, okay? Unwanted, unnoticed, unloved, unaccepted, unassuming, underestimated, not enough. That little video you just showed, not enough, is a big theme in our world, not enough. Foreigners, slaves, obscurity. Okay, God uses people like that. Give me the unwanted people that nobody else wants, okay? That nobody else thinks that anything good can come out of them. Give me the ones that nobody noticed, no one accepts, they're unassuming, and everybody underestimates what they can do. God says, give me those people, and let me show you what I'll do with them. And I don't know if you're a man or a woman this morning, but if that's you, right, you need to hear this word. Okay, so the first woman we're going to talk about is Leah. Surprise you? Leah, nobody wants Leah. It's the most outrageous, one of the most outrageous stories in the Bible. Okay? 
Jacob comes in, and he wants Rachel because Rachel is good-looking. The Bible said she was shapely and lovely of form. So what does that say about Leah? She was short, fat, frumpy. What? What does that mean? Right? He didn't want Leah. She was unwanted and unloved. It's so serious. It makes me want to cry. That deep pain. Now, I don't know how this happens, but this is what the Bible says. He goes into her. He don't know who he's sleeping with. He wakes up in the morning, and it's Leah and not Rachel. I don't, I don't even know how that happens. Okay, but that's what it says, so that's what he says. He was drunk. He was high. He was something, right? Huh? Oh, please. No. <laughs> no. There's no way. I'm not accepting that. <laughs> he doesn't want her, but he's married to her, and now she's his wife, and she's unloved, and she's unwanted. And I'm going to read what the Bible says about her in Genesis 28, verses 31 through 35. This is heartbreaking portion of Scripture. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her womb. But Rachel was barren. Rachel is the good-looking one that he loved. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, maybe now my husband will love me. And Leah conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son. And she called him Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Maybe now, this time, my husband will attach himself to me. Because I bore him another son, and she named him Levi. How many years are we now? Takes nine months, right? Even if you have him, bang, bang, bang. This woman gives him three sons, and he still doesn't love her. He's unattached to her. There's no bonding, right? And she conceives again. And she bore him a son. And this time, I will praise the Lord. Something just happened to this woman. How long did it take her? At least three to four years before she decided, I can't live my life hoping that this man loves me, hoping that this man is going to change. I can't keep giving him kids and doing what he wants and hoping. I got to take my perspective, which was down here, that I'm nothing right now. I'm just hated right now by this man, and I keep giving him sons, and it doesn't help. And something happened because she changed her perspective, and she said, I'm going to praise the Lord, and she named him Judah, which means praise. Everything changed in this woman's life. This unloved, unnoticed woman, unwanted woman. Don't tell me that our circumstances are so serious you don't know what I'm living through. That's a tough thing to live through. But her perspective, she came up from where she was, okay? And she came to a new perspective. And she named this child Praise because something happened in the heart of Leah. And she replaced her husband's adoration and desire for God's adoration and desire. And that changed everything. Right? At that time, at that moment in time, I believe, this is just my opinion, I believe that that transformation in Leah was so revolutionary that God said, okay, now... I'm going to use you, Leah, and you're going to do what I want. Because God had a desire with Jacob. What was the desire? Do you know? What did God want? Who was God looking for? Bible scholars, come on. He looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What do you want from Jacob? No, he had that with Abraham. What did he want from Jacob? 
a nation. Now, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. Men are full of seed. And that's a good thing. We need it. But unless that seed finds a ground to abide in, it's all by itself. And God at that moment, I believe, said to Leah, out of you, I'm going to get what I want. I want a holy nation. And the nation of Israel was just about single-handling done through Leah, her maidservants. They gave Jacob ten sons that became the nation of Israel. Rachel gave, them, gave him two, Joseph and Benjamin. Benjamin became a nation, and Joseph's grandchildren, jo- Joseph's children be- became the half-tribes that made up the other 12. But out of Leah, the unwanted and unloved one, God used her to birth a nation. What's he want to do with you? And this is the kicker for me. In Genesis 49, Jacob's dying. It's a great chapter. You should read it. He prophesies over all his kids. And then it says that he he pulled his feet up. And he says, listen, guys, I'm dying. He says, um, he said, bury me in the cave where I buried Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and in the place that I buried Leah. And Jacob wanted to be buried with Leah. I think that's pretty significant. Easily overlooked. Easily like, yeah, well, so what's the big deal? It doesn't mention Rachel. Now, Rachel died way before. Because Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. I'd have to go look where she was buried. I didn't, I didn't look. But he said, I'm dying, guys. He prophesied over all his kids. And then he said, he gave them instructions. Bury me with Leah. Somewhere along the line, the coin dropped. And he thought, look at this woman that God gave me who birthed a nation and did the will of God. But by that time, she wasn't so much in adoration of Jacob, but she was in love with God the Father. Okay? She birthed the nation of Israel. Pretty awesome. hmm? The second woman I want to talk about is Ruth. Another pretty outrageous story. This hits home. Ruth was totally and completely unaccepted. She was undocumented, to put it in our terms. She did not belong where she was. It wasn't that she was just here illegally. It was that God himself cursed her people for ten generations. Israel was to have nothing to do with the people where Ruth came from. Okay? So, Ruth was a Moabite. And the Bible is clear about Israel not having anything to do with Moabites. They were cursed, unforgivable people. And I'm just going to tell you, the story is in uh, Genesis, the 19th chapter. And you know this story. I know you do. It's when... Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels came down, right? Told Abraham. Abraham goes and says, Lot, my family, Lot and, my, and his kids are living in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't. You can't destroy it. So you know the story. They bargain with God and get down to ten people, and they can't find ten. So the angels go in, and they get Lot and his wife and his daughters, and they say, get out of town. And they get out of town. You know, right? Lot's wife turns around. She turns to a puller of salt. And here's Lot and his two daughters. And they run into the caves of Zoar. And this is the discussion these two girls have. It's shocking. You know, the Bible's a shocking book. (laughs) I I mean, you know, we think, you watch that on TV? Uh, Yeah, I read the Bible. 
Okay, so the firstborn says, our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come to us after the manner of the earth, because Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. So the girls are talking to each other. Let's make our father drunk with wine, then we'll lie with him, that we may preserve the offspring from our father. So what are they talking about here? Okay, so the first girl gets the father drunk that night, goes into his tent, lays with him, and gets pregnant. The second night, the second girl does the same thing. The names of their children, the firstborn bore a son, and his name was Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. The second bore a son, and his name was Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Amorites, Ammonites, okay? Deuteronomy 23. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter. Pretty clear? This is where Ruth comes from. That's why I want to give you her background. This wasn't just some girl. She, her in-laws were Israelites. I wish I could teach you on this because uh, the book of Ruth is like so powerful. There's a famine in Israel. And when there's a famine for the word of God and when there's a famine in your church or something's happening, Elimelech and Naomi decided, just let's get out of here and go someplace. We can go up the road, around the corner. We could just stay home, sit on our couch, stay in our pajamas, drink our coffee, and watch church from TV. It's truth. That's what we could do, and you certainly can do that. And that's what they did. Elimelech and Naomi fled Bethlehem, Israel, because there was hard times, and they went to Moab. With two, with two boys, both of their boys married Moabite women. I want to say, what did you expect? This is what I don't understand down here. Oh, I sent my kids to X, Y, Z. I, don't, I can't believe they got involved in drugs and this and that. I'm like, what did you expect? Right? They moved to Moab. Their sons married Moabite women. And the father and the sons all died in Moab. Now we have Naomi, the mother, and her two daughter-in-laws. And she wakes up one morning, Naomi, and says, i got to get out of here. I'm going home. And that's what she said. And she tells her two daughter-in-laws. Now, they have nothing, guys, because we're living down here. When you live down here and your husband dies and there's no man to take care of you, you are literally women that are on the street. You might as well be homeless. No one is going to take care of you. When your husband dies, it's your, it's your children's responsibility to take care of you. But when your children die, you're outcasts. So these women are outcasts. So Naomi says, I'm packing my stuff and I'm going home. And she tells her two daughter-in-laws, what are you doing? Go back to your families. Go back to your father and mother's house. Her oldest one says, I'm going to go. Her name was Orpha. She goes home to her parents. She's not a bad person. It, it was logical. But Ruth says, I, I don't want to go home. I want to stay with you. Do you understand what she was saying? You want to stay with me? You know where I'm going. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to Bethlehem where they hate you. They don't even know her, but they hate her because she's a Moabite. And they're so religious because God cursed these people. That's why we hate them, because God cursed these people. I love this story. <laughs> I love this story. So Ruth goes with Naomi. And you know the passage, it's so common. I hope you still use it in your marriage ceremonies. Ruth says to Naomi, hey, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Where you sleep, I sleep. 
Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. And don't let anything separate us but death. That's what Ruth said to her mother-in-law, knowing, I'm going back to a people who don't speak my language. They have a different culture. They have a different set of mores, and they hate me. But that's where I'm going. Why? Because I saw something in my mother-in-law that changed me, and I'm going to go after her. And that's what Ruth did. So Ruth goes back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. Again, you should read this story. It's like so amazing and outrageous all at the same time. The culture is like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Ruth starts gleaning in the outside fields where all the homeless people and the outcasts glean. What does that mean? The harvesters come in and harvest the wheat. And whatever they drop on the floor and they don't feel like picking up, they leave for the hungry people, the homeless people, the outcasts, the orphans, the widows. And that's where Ruth was. And her attitude was great. How do you know that, Phyllis? The Bible doesn't say anything about her attitude. I know her attitude was great because somebody noticed her and said, hey, come on over. Come on. Come over into the field where you could actually glean, you could actually uh, harvest yourself. And she started harvesting the wheat for the landowners, enough to bring home to Naomi that they actually could eat every night instead of just eating every other night or every three days. Who knows? Okay? And then one day, Naomi tells her this. Outside of her culture, Ruth, Boaz is my distant relative. Go into the threshing floor and lay at his feet. Huh? What? I mean, I try to put myself in these women's situations. I just, uh, I really feel like I'm a really submissive wife. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not doing this. What, what is this? I'm just being honest with you. This is crazy. She says, go lay at his feet, and if he covers you with his blanket, and there's all kinds of innuendos going on here, then he'll take you at, he acquired her, and that is the word, he acquired her as his wife. And that was, wow, Boaz, you're awesome, and Boaz is awesome, I'm not saying he's not. But he acquired Ruth as his wife. With it, he got whatever land was given to Naomi and her husband that she had to forfeit because she was a woman without a husband. You following me? And he marries Ruth. I, I just love this. So now this woman who is undocumented, unaccepted, doesn't speak the language, doesn't know the culture, is now gleaned in the fields like an outcast and was just a worker in a field. Now, uh, hello, now what? She's married to Boaz? She's the woman of the house? She's part owner of the field? The field that she was just an outcast in? How, how did that even happen? Only God. Okay, because God looked at Ruth and said, yeah, I want her. I want her because I got a plan for her. What was God's plan for Ruth? Do you know? Leah birthed what? A nation. What did Ruth give to God? Ruth gave God the lineage of the kings. How amazing is that? Ruth marries Boaz. This is Ruth chapter 4. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz is Ruth's husband. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. David was the king of Israel. Now, if that doesn't give you goosebumps and everything else that you need, I don't know what will. Wow. Uh, wait a minute. Are you telling me this Moabite woman, the cursed woman, became the great-grandmother of King David? This is divine destiny. Yeah. Okay? And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're unwanted, unaccepted. 
Maybe no one thinks anything of you. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because when you get out of this perspective, all of that unwantedness was the perspective of men. The, the perspective of their, their current culture. It was never God's perspective. He never had that in mind for them. Never. But when you move up to where he is and you look at things from his perspective, all of a sudden faith rises up inside of you and you can believe for that which is impossible. And let me tell you, if we would have told Ruth, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're going to marry, you're going to be the owner of the woman of the house, she would have said, yeah, right. Right? God has a plan for us. It doesn't usually have too much to do with the plan of men. Okay? Leah gave him what? Ruth gave him what? Kings. Now we're going to talk about Esther. You know, Esther lived in, she was in captivity to the Assyrians. Now we have a nation who's been that nation of Israel for many, 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 many years, and they fall into captivity to the Assyrians. So this is how they live. And Fred will tweak me if I'm wrong here. They weren't like living in jails. No, no, they were living in houses. They were running their businesses. They had good jobs, okay? They had good benefits. They could go to Bucky's and get $25 an hour. I'm still like, yeah, you can. For those of you who don't know. That's how they were living in Assyria, in Susa. It was a very, very productive city. And the Jews were in captivity living in the Assyrians, but they were not free. They were owned by the Assyrians. And Esther was an orphan. Both her parents died, and she was living with her uncle Mordecai. Again, another outrageous request. He tells her, so, the king wasn't happy with his present wife, so he got rid of her. This is an Assyrian king. This isn't even an, a godly king. This is an ungodly king. He was unhappy with his wife, so he got rid of her. And now he wants a new wife. He wants someone young and pretty and hot. Her uncle says, you, Esther, you're going to go and present yourself to become the queen. This girl is an orphan and under captivity. And she's like, what? He goes, yeah. I want you to go and get in the lineup with all those other women. And what was the cost of this? This is hard for us to understand. You got one shot with this guy. Okay? You go into the king, you sleep with him, you make him really happy, and he picks you. If he doesn't, you spend the rest of your life as a concubine. You have no inheritance, you have no future, you have no name. You are owned by the palace. They could give you to whomever you want, and if you bear children, they have no name. Does that sound good to you, Esther? <laughs> I mean, how many of you girls would say, sure, Uncle Mordecai, I'll do it. Sounds like great adventure to me. I mean, I don't know. Right? But she said yes. She said yes. She had her one night with the king, and she pleased him. And she became the queen of Assyria. Was that her divine destiny? Not really. Because Esther was at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right person, believe it or not. Okay? Married to the king. He's like, uh, how is this right? Because it was right. Because <laughs> up here in God's perspective, he's looking at the overall plan. He's not looking at the immediate plan. He's looking at the really big picture, not the immediate picture. Right down here, it's the, all about me. It's all about what am I going to do today? And what about my finances today? And what about this? And what about that? It's all about me today. But up here, God is like, I got a bigger plan. I can see bigger and farther than you can see. Yeah, let her do that. She will become queen because I need her. What did God need her for? Because Israel was about to be annihilated. The decree already went out, and the king, her husband, already signed it. 
put his signet ring on it and said, kill all the Jews. He didn't know that he was married to a Jew because she had to keep that a secret. She chose, I'm not going to keep it a secret. She prayed, she fasted, she went into the king, and she saved a nation. Okay? She saved the nation that Leah birthed. She saved the lineage that Ruth birthed. That's what Esther did, but she did something else that was even greater. She went to her husband, and she said, we need to write new laws. We need to write new decrees. We need to change the way you people live and the way you treat other people. I want to rewrite the legislation of Assyria. And he said to her, okay. That's what he said. I mean, you know, you could say it, and the Lord said, but he said, okay. That's what he said. And he took her uncle, Mordecai, and he, gave, he made him number two in the kingdom of Assyria. And he said, you and Esther, sit down and rewrite the laws of the land. Here's my signet ring. This is, this is the destiny of the church. That's why I love what you just did. This is our destiny. Why are we here for? To meet in buildings on Sunday morning? Come on. We have to infiltrate our workplace, our school place, everywhere we are, because we are the, we are the answer to everything. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is actually true. Okay? That's what she did. To me, the most significant thing that Esther did was rewrite the laws. She rewrote the laws of Israel. The king... how many one earrings I have? <laughs> That's pretty significant. It's, it's as if she went into the, gov the seat of government, which she did. The signet ring was like the gavel. It's law. And they changed the laws. The Bible says it this way. In Esther, where am I? Uh, nine. It says, with full authority, they established days appointed times, they made decrees, they gave instructions, laws for their descendants and for generations to come. And it was sealed with the king's signet ring, and they made it law and put it in place even unto this day. Esther not only saved the nation that Leah birthed and the lineage that Ruth birthed, but she actually brought about change so that the next step could actually take place. And who's my fourth woman this morning? Mary. It's got to be Mary. I, you know, us Protestants, we don't give her enough credit. I mean, another outrageous story. She was probably 14 or 15 years old, and I would say out of all of these women, she was the most unassuming. I don't think anybody expected much from her. She's just a little 14-year-old girl. Nobody expected too much from her. The bottom line is this. Are we going to be man-pleasers or God-pleasers? Right? Because all of these women got to that moment, that intersection in their life where they had to make a decision. It was a hard one to make. And there's a lot of uncertainty connected to it. But because of their love and adoration for the Lord, they all said yes. Esther preserved what Leah and Ruth established, and I think that's really important. But Mary ushered in a new and a better covenant. Mary ushered in a new nation, a new and better covenant after God's own heart. Ultimately, this was God's ultimate plan, was it not? Mary said yes. Mary said yes. What are you saying? Mary said yes. She said, how, how is this even possible, God? This doesn't even make sense. Because it doesn't make sense. What am I going to tell 
Joseph, what am I going to tell my family? What am I? She was probably scorned. I mean, scorned. They probably scorned her. They were like, oh, it's the worst thing that you could do because she was betrothed. Pregnant, unmarried, telling us some ridiculous story that she expects us to believe. I think that she felt abandoned and so alone. And then she has this baby growing inside of her. She's not really sure how it even got there. And no one believed her. I mean, can we make it real? That's what she, and she said, yes. Be it unto me according to your will. God has a plan for us that's very powerful. Okay? It's very, very powerful. He sees what men do not see. And this morning I'm looking at a group of people that I know God sees in you what nobody else sees. And the biggest thing is I'm not sure if you see it. So I want you to look into the mirror. And I want you to have the eyes of Father God looking back at you. And I want you to see what he sees when he looks at you. Because until we see what he sees, we limit ourselves to the perspectives of men, which includes our own perspective of us. Reading those little text messages, these moms are saying, I feel like I'm not enough when I compare myself with others. We have to stop comparing. I know that's so hard. I know that's so hard. Because humans, we compare ourselves with each other. But if we come up to the level of where God really is, and we see things from his perspective, I have to tell you, I believe this. I've been preaching it forever. When you were born in your mother's womb, you got two sets of DNA. Your first set of DNA was totally human. That's why you have dark hair and blue eyes or brown eyes or dark skin or light skin or curly hair or whatever. You're short, you're tall, you're fat, you're skinny, whatever we are. We got our natural DNA from our earthly parents, right? But you got another set of DNA. Come on now, read Jeremiah. He said, while I was weaving you in your mother's womb, I called you, I named you, and I set your course. When did that happen? When you were in your mother's womb. We have the DNA, the divine nature of the almighty God in each and every one of us. And that's what I want to tap into this morning. Ladies, I'm talking to you. We are the most awesome creatures on the planet. There is no doubt about that. Even men will say yes to that. It's true. We are. God can take the unwanted, the unloved, the unaccepted, the underestimated, and do marvelous things. What's he want to do with you? And don't tell me, you know, maybe when I was 20, but I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80. Oh, who cares? God is no respecter of persons or age. Right? I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been, who you've been with, where you come from, what people say about you, what your past is, what your history is, what other people have said that you'll never amount to anything. I'm here to tell you just one word. It's all a lie. There's not one bit of truth in any of it. Because while you were being born in your mother's womb, he put divine DNA inside of you. And in that divine DNA is the, is the, the destiny of God that's woven inside of you. What do we have to do? Just believe it. And say, God, what do you want me to do? Man, this is for you too. Okay? The church is here to change the world. Period. We do it a little bit at a time, but we do it all together. And this is why I love the body. As much as I'd like to be the heart, because no one can live without a heart. As much as I want to be the lungs, because you can't live without your lungs. The truth is, I don't know who the heart and the lungs are. I might just be a pinky. But you can't make it without me. And I cannot make it without you. And together, we could do whatever God wants to do. So what's my message for New Life Church this morning? Don't look at your small beginnings and say, oh, look around. Stop doing that. Stop talking about who isn't here and start looking at who is here. Stop talking about what we should have did and could have did but didn't do. Stop talking about that. That's way down there. It doesn't matter. Here we are. This is what we look like for the moment. 
How could we put all of our resources together and the gifts and talents that God has given us to do exploits for him right in this community? And you've already started a little bit. So my, my voice to you this morning is keep doing what you're doing. Keep, do it bigger. Do it stronger. Do it harder. Do it faster. Do it mightier than you've ever done it before. Do not limit yourself. The only limitation you have on you is the one you put on yourself. And that's the truth. And could you just shed like a cloak the perception of men? I don't like sports. I don't like guns. She doesn't like guns and she doesn't like sports. What's to like about this woman? Not much. You know why I don't like sports? I hate the competition of you're so good and you're not so good. I don't like that. Because truly, all our athletes are extraordinary. Are they not? They really are. Should they get paid bazillions of dollars for doing what they do? No. But that's another thing. I won't go there, babe, I promise. But we're, instead of the comparison and the measuring, can we just not look at each other and say, wow, wow, that's extraordinary. And if we would not compare ourselves with each other, but step up and look in the mirror where God's face is looking back at us. And he says, this is what I want to do with you. And instead of us saying, oh, are you kidding me? God, you know, it's me. He goes, yeah, it's you. And this is what I want to do with you. Okay, you have a dream that's in your heart that you've had for a long time. Sometimes you pick it up and look at it. And other times you just leave it alone because you think that's never going to happen. I want you to pick it back up again. I want you to bring it back to your mirror and say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Because I got this thing in my heart, and I really believe you put it there. I believe you put it there. That's why I keep having this dream. So tell me what I need to do, who I need to see, and call those people in. You know, it only takes a handful of people to change your world. You're one of those world changers for somebody else. But sometimes I just pray, Lord, I need that person. Send that person to me, that connection, that divine connection that I need to get from where I am to where I need to be. And I call that person in full of expectancy that they're on their way and coming. And my eyes are open to look for them. Wherever I go, I'm looking for them, thinking, hmm, maybe they're in here. I'm waiting, right? I'm full of faith, believing God to make that connection. Okay, can you stand with me this morning? And thank you guys for letting me come and share my heart with you. I really do appreciate it. Could you put your hand on your heart? And I just want to pray with you, okay? Father, we stand before you this morning looking in the mirror. We entune our eyes. We focus our eyes to see you. We tune our ears to hear you so we can see and we can hear. And I can hear so I can see. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all my negative thoughts, all my doubts, all my fears all my wrong perceptions of who I am and what I'm able to do. And this morning, I look at you and I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do what's in my heart to do. And I'm going to believe that you are going to set me up, send me the right people with the right resources to help me get from where I am to where you want me to be. And I release my faith right now that I'm in the right place at the right time with the right people, and you are going to pull me up and take me to that place where you want me to be. I will do great and mighty exploits for you. I receive this now full of expectancy that what I've asked for is come in my way now. Let my natural eyes see what my spiritual eyes can see and let my natural ears hear what my spiritual ears can hear so that I can be attuned not only in the realm of the spirit but see it in the realm of the natural. I will manifest what you show me in the spirit. And I receive this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.
Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Church podcast. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, consider this a standing invitation for you to join us. We would love to meet you. Services are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If this message blessed you, imagine what it would be like in person. Keep up with everything going on at New Life on our website, orangecitychurch.com. New Life Bible Church, you will never be the same.